Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. <coughs> Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great clash. Crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Thank you very much, Brian. When I was uh, young, growing up in the late 50s, 60s, um, my parents would, during the summer holidays, would often uh, take me up to London to uh, perhaps go to a museum. Occasionally, they might take me to uh, London Zoo. And it was always fun going to the zoo because in those days, they had things like uh, chimps tea parties. And you can see there, there's a couple of chimps. Uh, inevitably, it started off all fine. Chimps around the table, a few keepers sort of keeping order. But very quickly, chaos would ensue. Food would get chucked around. They'd be climbing on the tables. They'd be throwing things at each other, uh, throwing their drink, and etc. Uh, and so you can see what sort of uh, state things got to. There's quite a, a clever chimp. I mean, we tend to think sort of chimps are quite clever, really. but say it was good fun but these days of course it would be regarded as cruelty to animals wouldn't it to make chimps perform at tea parties and things like that what about this character 
we tend to think chimps are intelligent, but um, this is an orang-utang, as Sir David Attenborough would say, but orangutans to the rest of us. Uh, Latin name Pongo pygmaeus. Um, very intelligent animals. And uh, very intelligent because look, this one here has decided he wants to borrow someone's boat. So he's got in it and decided to paddle across uh, the uh, river. There's another one, if you go online, you can see loads of these, uh, a video where the, the orangutan is paddling to start with, and he spots an oar in the boat, and then very quickly decides, oh, I know how to row now. <laughs> so very clever animals. Um, did you know that orangutans are our closest living relatives on the planet, and they share 97% of our DNA? 97%. I can see Fiona's face, she's thinking... Basically, I've married a monkey. Fiona <laughs> doesn't like me going to zoos, by the way, because um, I feel I have to commune with the animals. So if we're looking at a cage that's got monkeys in and there's a few people around me, sooner or later I'll be making monkey sounds just to see whether that sort of gets them moving and gets them more agitated. And uh, you can see people moving away like this and Fiona standing there with her head in her hand saying what are you doing what are you doing what are you embarrassing me um, but are we any different to the animals well I think the thing that largely sets us apart from animals uh, is our desire to learn and to understand see as humans we analyze we conceptualize we theorize we discuss, we debate everything from science to the supernatural, from maths to music, from rock and roll to religion, anything from A to Z, as the Americans would say, or A to Z, as we'd say, from, I don't know, arboriculture to zoology uh, and any subject in between, from anatomy to astrophysics and zero gravity and Zeroth's law of thermodynamics. If Dave could speak, he'd tell us all about that, but um, perhaps another time. Uh, you name the subject, but all humankind will want to know uh, more about it. I mean, we build schools, we build colleges, we build institutes and universities where teachers and learned professors um, impart their knowledge and help us to learn and discover more about the world and about life. Now, I think Jesus was unequivocally the greatest teacher who ever lived. And if you think about it, one of the most impressive elements of Jesus' teaching was his incredible diverse array of teaching styles and teaching strategies. And he always employed the most effective method uh, for any particular person or group of people or any situation he was in. So he'd adapt his teaching style to fit specific situations. Uh, we can see from this morning's Bible reading, um, the multitude has gathered. He's uh, preaching on the, the mountainside and he delivers a sermon. So he's faced with teaching hundreds, if not thousands of people, a, a multitude. So he chooses on this occasion to deliver effectively a lecture. But at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he's very personal and he speaks to the disciples almost individually as a small group before he starts speaking to the crowd. And of course, Jesus was great at using things like hyperbole, similes, metaphors. Uh, he would use outrageous examples and exaggerations. 
and sometimes he'd even make shocking statements that got people's attention. But then at other times, when he was alone uh, with the disciples, for example, he'd used object lessons, such as the washing of their feet, to demonstrate uh, servant leadership. And Jesus would teach uh, by, he'd adapt his teaching methods um, with the message he needed to communicate. For example, in his encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, um, he used questions to lead her to explore the truth of his message. And when he wanted to help the disciples visualize his teaching, he led them to experience the Lord's Supper with symbols of the broken bread and the sharing of the red wine representing Jesus' body that would be laid down for them and all of us. And thirdly, Jesus led his learners in moving from concrete experiences to abstract principles and vice versa. So for example, he used stories to connect um, common life events to spiritual truths. In the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, you remember he taught his listeners what it meant to be a good neighbor. In the parable of the sower, he demonstrated how the kingdom of God would develop. But more importantly, Jesus taught in order to transform lives, rather than to impart information. He used things like mentoring assignments to teach his disciples how to share their faith. And he never became anxious about trying to cover too much information in his short three-year ministry. I think, unfortunately, our education system requires teachers to be too focused on how much students can cram into their heads and then regurgitate it, that knowledge onto a piece of paper. Now, that's, unfortunately, what we have to do to get results and exams and uh, ticks in boxes, but it's not the best education method. But Jesus understood that receiving information was not as important as seeing lives changed. And he spoke with authority because he had God's wisdom. As human beings, of course, we have books on any and every subject. And we also have the internet these days, don't we? If you type in um, on your internet browser, um, your, the word wisdom, you'll get 9,690,000 responses. If you type in the words God's wisdom in your internet browser, you'll just get 6,650,000 responses. Now that, to me, seems to illustrate the sheer arrogance of us as human beings. Just wisdom gets more hits than God's wisdom. Knowledge is good, but there's a vast difference between knowledge, that's having the facts, and wisdom, which is applying those facts to life. Knowledge comes from learning. Wisdom comes from living. Over the years, many people have asked, what is the path to a successful and rewarding life? The world claims to know that the path to be successful and is things like ambition, education, uh, wealth, uh, public recognition, power and influence. 
But the Bible tells us that human wisdom is foolishness in God's eyes. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. From the first book of Corinthians. Now some self-professed athletes can talk a great game, but that tells you nothing about their athletic skills. And likewise, not everyone who talks about heaven belongs to God's kingdom. Jesus is more concerned about our walk than our talk. He wants us to do right and not just say the right words. So we can see from our Bible reading this morning, in those last three points that Jesus makes, he exposes those people who sound religious but have no personal relationship with him. So he talks about the true and false prophets, the true and false disciples, and the wise and foolish builders. Because you see, the things like position, authority, money, and earthly wisdom, none of that is important in God's kingdom. Jesus tells us what really matters is faithful obedience from the heart. The Sermon on the Mount, in fact, challenged the proud and legalistic religious leaders of the day. It called them back to the messages of the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophets who, like Jesus, taught that heartfelt obedience is more important than legalistic observance. And when Jesus talked about bad trees and bad fruit, he means people who deliberately teach false doctrine. I think it was Liz Pollard who told me about a church that had recently decided to effectively ditch the Old Testament and from now on they would only read and talk on subjects related to the New Testament and Christ's resurrection. And that to me seemed rather weird and nonsensical because Jesus continually referenced back to the Old Testament and the prophets and of course Jesus was the fulfilment of those prophecies and through his death, resurrection and saving grace, we know that Jesus is the embodiment of the new covenant. So, watch out for the walls. They might just be disguised as sheep. Later on in Matthew's Gospel at chapter 10, Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among walls. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Jesus is the good shepherd that protected his sheep from the walls by laying down his life. And in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 12, Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The trouble is that many people think that if they are good people, and they say the right uh, religious things, that they will be rewarded with eternal life. But in reality, faith in Christ is what will count at the judgment. 
And to make it clear, Jesus reminds us that faith requires doing and not just believing. Faith requires doing and not just believing. So it's no good saying to yourselves, well, I've done my bit. I've gone to church. I've sung the songs. I've said a few prayers. I listened attentively to the sermon. I haven't seen anybody fall asleep just yet. That's all I have to do, really, isn't it? No, it's not. If we want to be wise, we need, in addition to having faith, to pay attention to Christ's teachings and then put them into action, to do them. Put them into practice. Fortunately, here at Milford Baptist Church, I think we have a fellowship who do put into action their faith in so many ways. And I'm sure if I listed them all, then it would astound us. But let's not get complacent. Let's not stop doing things for Christ as a church and as a fellowship. And sometimes just offering to do one other thing, however big, however small, can really help. Um, we are, after all, God's hands here on earth. So don't let those hands stop working for the Lord. God expects action and not just belief, and that's what Jesus demands of all of us, not just some of us. It is Jesus' claim that obedience to him is the only sure foundation for life. And he gave the example of the wise and foolish builders. Now, I'm not sure how you get out to that house on that rock. <laughs> but to build on the rock means to be a hearing and responding disciple, not a false or superficial one. Practicing obedience becomes the solid foundation to weather the storms of life. But it also means anchoring your faith in the secure rock of Jesus. And that requires not just a belief, but also action. Our foundation needs to be on Christ, the solid rock, as well as on his words. And we're building on Christ's foundation if we hear his words and then do them, put them into action. Because building on the rock means we are obeying Christ and doing God's will. Because when difficult times come, and the storms of life crash around us, we do not cave in. We do not fall apart. We do not fall away from Christ. And we'll be able to handle them with Christ. So how might we be building on sand and what would be the consequences? Well, if we built our lives on sand, we would accept the world's philosophies. We'd spend more time in pleasure than in God's ministry. We'd be living fairly materialistic lifestyles and we'd live for self, be self-focused instead of servant-hearted focused. We'd live our lives around things that do not count for eternity. We'd have a religion of externals, like the Pharisees did, giving, praying, fasting, without concern for inequalities 
of purity of heart or integrity of behaviour or obedience to God. Building on sand is coming with your bodies to church but not your souls. Worshipping with your mouths but not your hearts. In life it's very easy to want to take the broad road but you might find that it's all sand. And the sand represents human will, human opinion, human attitudes and the shifting sands of human philosophy. If we do not build on Christ and his teachings we may for a time look good on the outside but when the storms of life come it will show what a mess our life is in. And while it may feel risky to set aside our own reasoning, the benefits of walking in God's wisdom are great. Divine wisdom is seeing life from the Lord's perspective and responding accordingly, in reliance on his strength. Then we are able to stand firm in our faith and choose his way by doing his will in all that we do in all that we say and in all that we think. So the question is, what are you building your life upon? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we offer up ourselves to you today. Keep us away from the shifting sands of this world and plant us firmly on the rock of salvation in Jesus Christ our Saviour, Lord and King. Prune back the parts of us that do not bear fruit. We want to be fruit bearers for you. Work in us and through us so that everyone may know your great love. We ask you, Lord God, to pour out your amazing love upon each one of us today so that we might be genuinely rooted in you and call us to action that love within our individual lives and the people that we encounter and the life of your church here and in the lives of the people of Milford and the surrounding villages and towns. Your will be done in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our last song this morning is realising that we don't do it other than through Christ, is uh, yet not I, but through Christ in me.